Hello and welcome to the 105th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they made their start making games, what their influences are, and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Tick's Tales Up All Night by Digital Bounce House. Bryce, who are you and what do you do? Um, well, first and foremost, um, I'm Bryce Covert, um, adventure game player and adventure game designer. Excellent. That's the best best type of creator. Someone who actually plays the games or the types of games they like to make. I, I, I similar, It's kind of similar to Dungeon Masters or Games Masters and RPGs in that I think the best DMs or GMs are the ones who play as well. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah. I think that there's a certain um, sort of culture that's uh, developed around uh, adventure games um, in a way that perhaps... Um, maybe only RPGs um, kind of have a, a, a similar um, uh, sort of thrust and, and tropes sort of around them. And um, it would be really hard to make uh, adventure games that I think that folks who, who really enjoy them um, uh, would like, unless you were a player and really familiar with them yourself. Yes. And the, the reason I say is the key of role-playing games or DMs, pen and paper RPGs I'm talking about, is right. um, empathy. That single word, empathy. If you've got something in a game and you think, well, how would I like that if I was a player? Well, if you haven't played, you wouldn't know. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, so when making uh, any an adventure game of its, uh, its um, interactive fiction, as they now call it, um, or text adventures as I knew it when I was a lad, which is many thousands of years ago, um, they, you know, it was all about that. Some of those puzzles, I generally believe that they didn't really understand. You know, how would you like it if you were faced with that puzzle? Would you be able to fathom it? Probably right. not. You know, and whereas right. you know, <laughs> later on in the years, and uh, as I found adventure games, which is why I wanted you on. I wanted to talk to you about your this excellent game, Tick's Tales. Is how that this specific genre has evolved over the last ten years. I'm not going too deep into that, but I find it fascinating how it's turned around and you go, huh, this isn't as moribund as it used to be. Why? We'll talk about that later. So how did you make your start making making video games? Yeah, um, it, you know, it actually started probably uh, not too dissimilar um, from how folks got into adventure games themselves. Um, when I was six or seven years old, my grandfather sat me down and on our 386 and started playing King's Quest. And uh, yeah, at a really young age, I just decided this is what I want to do. And uh, I really sort of started learning how to program, how to write music, how to do artwork, um, and really just practice those skills for many years. And gosh, now, almost 25 years later, um, I'm finally... I got to the point where I felt like I, those skills were sharp enough that I could um, make something that other people would enjoy. Be able to pull it off, as they say. Stick yeah, the back. yeah, that's right. Family show. Oh, yes, right, yeah. It's, um, it's, it's, they are not easy to make. I mean, video games aren't easy to make, period. But there's this sense of, oh, how hard can it be? It's just a series of objects and puzzles and cross-referencing right. and... How hard could this possibly be? Well, that's said by someone who hasn't properly played one. Um, I've right. played, played many. Um, my most um, memorable happens to be probably the the usual suspects, um, the first Monkey Island, which I I played on the Atari ST because I'm British. Um, so we we had a lot of STs knocking around in, in the UK, uh, and and Amigas, of course. We didn't adopt the PC until Doom arrived. Um, which is not a bad thing because the Amiga was an awesome machine. But yeah, Monkey Island games, that was the first point and click game I really sort of got involved with. But there's also uh, Lure of the Temptress, which is a great game made by the people who did the Broken Sword games later on, um, Charles Cecil and his, his friends. Um, all, you know, and they all had this. What I loved about them was when they were well, when they were well written and, and the story and the characters 
you were invested in the characters more than anything because you controlled them, you cared about them more than the overall world itself they inhabited. You wanted to know what was going to happen to them. Do you not agree? I, oh, absolutely. Um, I think um, for for me, uh, I actually didn't really get into too many of the uh, LucasArts lineups um, until more as, as an adult. But as playing a lot of the sort of C- early CR games and um, the, uh, uh, what was it, Westwood for the Kyrandia games, you sort of, uh, being series, you kind of develop this sort of attachment to these characters um, over multiple installments. And I think that um, especially with the earlier games, uh, th- there's this aspect of um, really need to invoke your imagination and that's, I think, a, a thing that um, games have really, for the most part, um, have, have lost. And in those early days, seeing just a very pixelated King Graham or a very uh, pixelated Roger Wilco, you, you sort of superimpose sort of your own personality uh, a lot on, on them as you're playing. So you, you do, quote, really attach to these characters. And because there's so much that's left to your imagination, um, uh, it kind of feels like a little work of your own as well. Yes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I didn't, when I go out from Britain again, the, the, the King's Quest thing didn't really take off over here. It was Police Quest, I did play. I liked Police Quest, the first one. It was devilishly difficult um, right. driving around a little car in the, in the streets and stuff. But I found it fascinating that you could actually pull people over. Um, and um, of course, no one gets shot, really, in those games. <laughs> Sorry, topical. Um, uh, but uh, no, I, 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 the Police Quest games were, were great. No Space Quest, of course, and that sort of thing. I do actually have them all, all the King's Quest games, and because the, they released them in collections in the, in the early two thousands, and I and I jumped on those, and apparently they're worth quite a lot of money. But um, it's uh, yeah, they're, they're a fine collection of, of and, and I love the the presentation of them. You type something in, and then that person would walk over and and do those things that you asked them to do. Um, whereas in historically, text adventures, if they had graphics, was a still image. Um, the most right. famous being The Hobbit. I'm not sure if you're familiar with The Hobbit text adventure. If not, I would recommend it. It's one of the earliest sort of um, licensed tying games ever made for computers primarily and uh, that was that was quite a challenge uh, <laughs> getting through that game without reading the book first of course <clears throat> so yeah I, I'll, have to, I'll have to play that one I haven't I haven't played I've played a few of the sort of uh, interactive fiction text adventures but but not the Hobbit no no it's quite an extraordinary game and they did it again there's still images and it's, a, it's, it's, it's quite iconic but it's Little bug ridden, but there it is. You can probably play on a browser now. It's, there's no, there's no sound. It's just text and graphics, so you don't need any. Sure. Sound. So, I think you've answered this question already. But um, as a creator of these games, what do you believe is your biggest influences? What do you think you, you latch onto more than anything else? Yeah, I think that um, for me, um, telling a, a good story. Um, with uh, really memorable characters is something that's uh, um, really important to me. And if I think about all the games that I've really enjoyed um, growing up, it's it's sort of a very um, consistent theme that you you see. Um, yeah, just games with 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 characters that um, you'll 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 think about in your your day to day life. Uh, uh, not just when you're sitting in front of, in front of your computer um, or a game that maybe you'll, you'll call up your brother and you'll, you'll quote because just the lines, and the dialogue so memorable. Um, and I think that that, that narrative heavy game has just always been important to me. And then um, the second thing of just being much more focused on um, challenging the player's mind rather than challenging the player's um Reflexes uh, is obviously uh, a well-known attribute of adventure games, and sometimes to its own detriment, um, with just really tough logic puzzles and, and uh, or illogical puzzles. But I think just feeling 
feeling smart after um, having solved a really tough puzzle is there's there's a kind of unique enjoyment that comes that you really just you really don't get um, in the same way as beating a really difficult boss um, in other genres um, and not not to put that down at all I think that that's the, the super fun in a different way but I, I think that 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 feeling of accomplishment of I figured out what this puzzle was all about is just a really unique thing in adventure games. Yes. I recently finished reading Ready Player One. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that book. Come out three or four years ago. And uh, I haven't read it. Yeah, it's an um, extraordinary game um sorry, uh, extraordinary book about uh, set in the near future, but it talks about what you've just described, this um person who's really into adventure games who gets so much out of delving into the puzzles within them and then finding out what most sane human beings who go, what? How did you link that to that to that? Uh, well, he's got a, you know, the bird's blue, isn't it? Yes, or it's blue colour, therefore begins with B, and uh, that's the second letter of the alphabet, and uh, that's the number two in, in the code. What? Right. You know, and, it's just, and, and this, this book is filled with this really, really tenuous links of puzzles just because the, he has knowledge about a certain thing. I would highly recommend the book. It's excellent, but it's it's about video games and, and that sort of thing, and it's set in a, in, a, in a future, which isn't pleasant, unfortunately, and he's just dived into this netherworld, this other world, which is more pleasant than the real one, and it just goes, takes on that, that path, and then eventually it, it bursts back on itself. But the the, the point is that, you know, that that you're right, that sense of um, accomplishment of um, overcoming what seemingly is an impossible, you know, it's like, how can anyone do it? I find that with the the witness, you know, I just drop into it every now and again as I was going through it, and it's like, oh, that's how I did that. Oh, that's how it works. Oh, I get it. You know, and right. um, there's even points where, you know, you think you get the puzzle, you understood how it works, and you go, actually, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> it's something else. What you did right. will work to a point, but then there's a, key element, a key aspect which you forgot or neglected that you didn't understand because it just wasn't communicated to you in a way that you understood. Fascinating stuff. And a friend of mine right. uh, actually played Witness and uh, we sat, he solved this puzzle, but I hadn't. So he sat there going, okay, well, so we get them cross-examining going, so why do you think that's right? Well, because it is. And it's, it's, there's a video out there on YouTube about it and it's just... Um, we, you know, when I actually, you actually hear almost the penny drop in my brain going, oh, <laughs> that's right, it, right. you know, and surely as you as a designer, that's the biggest struggle, isn't it? To communicate your ideas and puzzles, but not to the point you assume the, uh, the, 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 the player has the brain the size of a gnat, you know. It's just, right. Yeah. That is a, that is a really tough, um, balance to make. And, and I, I think that, um, I gave a ton of thought um, into that when, when I was making text tales and just um, trying to make it so that when someone almost gets the puzzle, when they almost figure it out, there's a little payoff. There's a little bit of a hint. You're doing the right thing so that you, you, you are sort of encouraged to keep going in a certain line of thinking. And it sort of makes it so it's not a, um, like one payoff at the end, but sort of an, an iterative, okay, that's getting a little bit closer. It's getting a little bit closer. And then the ultimate payoff seems almost better because you've, you've, you've seen the progress along the way. There is a one very early on, which will, because one of the things about adventure games, you have to be very careful about spoilers. This is a recent concept, right. but it is, if you think about it, no one really cared back in the old days, but now we just talk about it all the time. And it's like the concept of spoilers, you have to be very careful not to... And, and all my questions are constructed around that idea. Like, let's talk about the abstract terms. I will not go into specifics too much. Uh, right. Because, but unfortunately, they're going to have to at some point. Uh, otherwise, it becomes, you know, it could be talking about anything, really. Um, but let's get back to the next question, then. Um, what developer in the industry do you most admire and why? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think that I would have to at least give Roberta Williams, um, you know, a shout out because 
I wouldn't be interested in adventure games or making games at all, probably, if it weren't for those moments with my grandfather um, introducing them to me. Um, but I think that if I have to look at it as a as a game developer and not a adventure game player, mm. um, I've just read a lot of Ron Gilbert's um, approach, and I think that his sort of philosophy um, in designing puzzles and designing stories uh, has stuck with me um, a lot. I think that the in a lot of ways, Roberta Williams really paved um, paved a path. Uh, and, and experimented a lot, but I think that um, Ron Gilbert really contributed contributed um, a great deal to uh, kind of solidifying what works and what doesn't. Um, and the if you look at the Telltale games today, and you look at um, a lot of the um, great adventure games um, that are out today, a lot of that philosophy um, is really apparent. Um, in all of them. And so in, in a lot of ways, I, I kind of see him as kickstarting this sort of refinement uh, that as an adventure game player and as an adventure game designer, um, I really benefit from. So, yeah. Fantastic answer. I've, I've um, had uh, all sorts of responses. A lot of them, a lot of people said, yeah, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. <laughs> so it's okay. Um, and a lot of them, a lot of them <laughs> like to said, can I say Nintendo? Yes, that's a company that you like. That's okay. Right. But you, that's, I think that's wonderful. You've actually given a double barreled answer. One is like, well, one inspired me, but one actually told me how to do it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and there's, and there's a big difference there. There is. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that for, for me, in looking at the games that first inspired me, I have a lot of nostalgia goggles. Um, yeah, a lot that, very that says. Those. I, 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 yeah. yeah. And. And you have to be you have to be careful as a game designer because no one is going to put on their nostalgia go- goggles for your game, um, uh, because you're you're showing them something unique to, to them where maybe that was you were inspired by something, but uh, uh, it, it, it won't it won't hit people in the same way as it hit you. Yeah, I think also on the nostalgia front, I have these. I have a lot of like retro consoles and video game systems and stuff, all fully functioning that I have to maintain because they are dying. Because they were never right, designed. Right. I tell the people they were never designed to last thirty years. They were designed to last three. <laughs> right. Top. Right. Right. <laughs> so they're all they're all dying. But I mean, you know, I keep them going and stuff. And I have these arguments with people, like people some put a photo on Facebook or something like that, and they go, "Oh, this game is awesome," and I write back and go, "Actually, no, it's not." <laughs> In the, in the cold, hot light, light of day, right now, this is a bad game. Why? And I list all the reasons why. And they're all valid. I mean, they, I mean I'm a big believer of facts sadly undermining one's beliefs. So they believe it's a great game, but then they actually sit down and play it and go, no. Because it, all the lessons and all the evolution and the development and advancement of the last 30 years have basically turned a lot of these games into mush. <laughs> Right, right, absolutely. <laughs> and it's like I can't go back to it. you know the, the expression. Can you? How does it hold up? Can you go back to it? And a lot of times you go, no. There's there's some acorns in there. There's little acorns throughout this whole game that are great. But right now, just wouldn't put up with it. If you try to release this now as it stands, would you like it? You know, I say to people, would you actually objectively say this is a good game? And go, no, exactly. So right. it's it's it was you know. Of groundbreaking then, but right now, looking so, and I try to engender that in people. Like, got to be objective, and you, right. know, you can't throw away thirty years or, or so, maybe twenty or however long it's been, twenty-five years, twenty years of de- development, and say, oh well, you know, it's not like back in the old days. You know, thank God for that. You know, in my- right? Yeah, I think. Yeah, if if you had, if like if if you sort of stand firm in that belief, it sort of undermines a lot of what has, as you said, evolved. Um, We're in a better place today and better games are being made today. And um, they may have been inspired by these earlier games, but you have to be able to see the flaws in order to continue making games that people will still want to sit down and play today. Any medium has to evolve. Has to. I mean, this is another example. Go back to the RPGs. 
I did a competition at PAX. It was at PAX. I, I go a lot. Don't ask. Um, and uh, so, and uh, and there was Dungeon Master uh, competition. Bear with me. And uh, I I got about I got third place out of fifteen DMs. Which I was quite proud of. But okay. they they gave me a prize, and the prize was the first edition of Dungeons and Dragons in the three books. You know, the very first edition. And the reason I'm, I'm there's a relevance to this. Please bear with me, but. I opened it up and I couldn't read it. It's gibberish. It's there's no, <laughs> there's no structure to the books. It's just terrible, terrible. Could other than how did we ever played anything based on those rules? I do not know because I don't know how anyone figured it out. I think it was just by word of mouth. Like don't read the rule books, why? Right? Because they're gibberish and they genuinely work. <laughs> and it's just and now I look, I pick up the fifth edition and it's like night and day, right? Absolutely not. It's just words on a page. The medium is exactly the same. But the presentation, the, the structure, the design is light years ahead. Why? It's because it's been 40 years. Right. That's right. That's why. And you try to explain this to people, especially if you're like, oh, it's like, I prefer this. Or like, if you really objectively look at this, you're throwing away all that hard work, that thought, that you know, lifetimes, generations in some regards of work because you you want to stick on those goggles and just go, blah, 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 this is the greatest thing ever. It's like, no, it really, really isn't. And, right. You know, I think what the genre you've done, that uh, you're working on, I say done, you know, Pointy Click Adventures has gone through this renaissance for a reason, for that reason alone, is people picked it up, figured it out and go, you know what, we can make this better. All we have to do is look at the lessons and learn objectively about what's happened in the past, take that and go, see that? That was bad. Come on, everyone, look at it. Wasn't it bad? Like, Yeah, yeah that was. So yeah. let's not do that again. And let's <laughs> use some empathy and use some you know, influence and in other people and other genres and bring it in and push stuff away and, and just understand that the creative process is destructive as well as it is creative. And you've got to, got to parcel things up and go, you know what? That doesn't work here. Let's put that away. And I think that's what's happening. Right. I think you're benefiting from that. Don't you, don't you agree? Yeah, I think that um, th- there's, there's if, if I didn't have other games to look to and if I didn't have other designers that have read their philosophy in making games, um, I think that I would have a lot more difficulty picking out some of the... Um, uh, uh, troublesome flaws in the games that really inspired me to start. Yeah, and um, uh, I, I, I think that as as a designer, I benefit from that, and the players benefit from that as well. Um, just being able to kind of push an envelope in some direction in a better in a better way because. You've seen other folks who have who have um, have picked out those flaws, um, addressed them, and and moved on. And um, and then there's the other side of the coin, which sadly I don't I don't do enough of, mainly because I'm trying to address bring a balance to the debate or the discussion with so much positivity. I go, that's great, but and I throw it back. But there are some really good things that, of course, exist in these older games that are nurtured and encouraged and, you know, seen through. they unchanging because they work and they, they, you know, so all of those things, there's positive things as well. So listeners, don't get me wrong, I'm not down on all this stuff. I just want to give balance to the discussion. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and going back to what I was saying about sort of triggering the imagination, I think that if there's anything that the sort of late 80s, early 90s games gave me, and the things that I've sort of focused so much on is that imaginative aspect of playing a game. It's like, it's much more like reading a book than watching a movie. Um, and that, um, that's, that's something that you could even say was particularly unique due to the limitations of the hardware at the time. Um, that, that was just great. It was an awesome aspect of these games is that, that you are looking at a super pixelated character and you've got to kind of figure out in your head what that might look like. And there may be a blob on the ground and you can't tell what that blob is. So you've got to 
figure out the right commands to type to figure out what it is so that you can put in your mind what is actually going on. And I think that was an awesome um, outcome of the limits in hardware we had at the time. Yes, yes, absolutely. And like I said, um, I still marvel, and I'll bring this up again. So take a drink, everyone. But, you know, the, the best example of um, pulling a, a, a point out of a, a thumbnail of, of memory of, of nothing, you know, extracting so much out of what was very little. Um, you know, the video game Elite, which is now, you know, it's, it's a classic because one of the, it's a space exploration game set in a, a universe with planets and trading and you can do what you like. It's the one of the world's first ever sort of um, um, uh, game, it's a bit like Grand Theft Auto, in that it's, it's a progeny of it, if you will. In that it, it started with a sandbox game, that's the phrase I was looking for, in that all of that universe and created, and they only, it was made with 22 kilobytes of RAM available. <laughs> 22! That's like a, a half a paragraph in the average email. Wow. <laughs> and they made an entire universe out of that amount of memory. And that, to me, says a lot about at that time. They had nothing, almost nothing. And yet they made this extraordinary things. And uh, I just, you know, it, 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 it's definitely, um, yeah, innovation, uh, mother of invention, all that sort of stuff. It, what, the more you restrict, the more you try to tie people down, the more expansive and extraordinary things people can make from very little. Um, right. So the last question then, and this uh, is one of my favourites because it gives an inclination of kind of um, fan of the medium that you take part in creating, what are the sort of things you, you uh, indulge in. So what, what, what games are you playing right now? Well, I, it probably doesn't come as a huge surprise that um, I'm playing the... Uh, the uh, new King's Quest game. Uh, I think that that's really, really it's well so done. Good, uh, I met the developers it, at PAX. Lovely people. Really. Yeah, yeah. I, I just wholeheartedly enjoy uh, the way that they've implemented the storytelling with with the the game and the dialogue is just it's just great. I've really, really enjoyed that. Um, I also this this might be a little bit off of the adventure game um, um, uh, genre, but I, I play uh, a fair bit of uh, Dungeon Crawl Stone Soup, which is a roguelike. Um, and it, it, it's called Dungeon Crawl Stone Soup. Um, and it is just... Uh, it, anyone who's listening to this just has to go and check it out and try it because it's just the most addictive thing in the world. Um, and part of why I like... Um, I, I, I haven't played too many in the roguelike genre, so um, I'm not necessarily saying that it's like a, a big genre favorite of mine. But what I really, really like about it is the same thing. It triggers your imagination a lot because there's not a lot of detail. And because there's not a lot of detail, um, you sort of have to fill in the blanks. And it's really, really hard. Just insanely hard. You are... And like many roguelikes, it's permadeath, so you kind of start over. Um, and uh, I think that the aspect that I I really like, and I've, I've read a lot about some of the philosophy behind uh, making roguelikes, is it triggers your imagination in a different way, too. Um, that because you set up these rules in this universe, um, the, players will find things that the designers didn't originally intend that you, you, you have such an expansive rule system that you can run into situations and solutions to problems that the designers never really anticipated. And if it works for you, great. Um, and so just that sort of open-endedness uh, um, is also a lot of fun for me. So, yeah, Dungeon Crawl Stone Soup, totally different genre, totally different style. No story to it, no narrative, but, man, it's a lot of fun. That, that sounds fantastic. Um, big thumbs up from me. Um, you know, I... You going back to imagination and the rogue, the very first one, the character was right. an at sign, at sign. <laughs> right? Right? It was, and the creatures were the letter T. Like, what's that? Yep. Don't know. Could be. 
a giant tick or something. <laughs> something. Um, yep, you got a G for a, for a gnoll yes. and or a goblin. G for a dragon, <laughs> and then you know, yeah, it was just um, yeah, Z for zombie. It was, yeah, there it is. Yep, it's all in your head. When I'm, when I'm, when I'm, again, go back to pen and paper RPGs. I do like theater of the mind stuff. You know, I don't like using figurines too much unless I really, really have to. Um, but right. uh, yes, you're, it's that that kind. Of, so I'm gonna have to check that out. It's on Steam, I assume. Uh, it's free. Um, so yeah, it's, it, I, I don't think it's on steam. Um, but you can go just look up dungeon crawl stone Two. You can play it online and there's, there's a large community of people where people will watch you. Uh, you know, they have an IRC channel. You can ask for help. And of course it's turn-based, so you can take your time. Uh, it's, yeah, it's just a, it's 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 really cool. I can't no, stress it enough. It's I'm just definitely now. I'm really intrigued. Um, I need more games to distract me from Stellaris because that game keeps drawing me in. Anyway, <laughs> um, well, Bryce, end of the first half. Well done. You made it. You're still here. Well mm. done. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah, it's, this, this this show is a bit like a video game. It's two levels. First level, you know, it gets worse and worse and more difficult. <laughs> but the second half, yes, we've got the real real meat potatoes of of the show. Delve deep into your game, which of course is Tick's Tales. Tales is a story um, about a young troublemaker named Tick, um, and he wants to win the heart of his true love, Georgia McGorgeous. Um, and in order to do that, he has to become a knight. And um, the ad- adventure really is just trying to be as zany and... Um, a- I would say like as true to form as possible in that um, adventure games, you tend to uh, wander into people's houses, take all their precious belongings and then use them in some fashion in your adventure and uh, all under the guise of being some kind of hero. And so I wanted to uh, make Tick a uh, true to form to what he really is doing, right? Swindling people out of their precious goods, lying and cheating his way to become uh, a knight and win the heart of his true love. Yes, from the outset, he's not—he's not annoying, borderline. But it's—it's it's like it's like he's not annoying. He's like he is like you are drawn to him because of his failings, because of his self-admitted failings, and the fact that he's just bumbling on and actually making it up as he goes along. <laughs> Right, right. Because this is exactly what he's doing. He's just constantly making stuff up as he's going along. And he realized that this is how everyone lives their life, pretty much. (laughs) Right. I mean, if I look at my own life or the stories my grandfather tells me, and I'm sure everyone else's lives and stories, you know, you always have – it's either you or your friends that are the neighborhood troublemakers. And everyone – knows you as the 
kids who come and steal stuff from their garden or, you know, um, set fireworks off in the street. And so I wanted to create a game about that guy. Yeah. Not the macho hero, but the, yeah. the, um, the troublemaker. Yeah. Just, just, and, um, oh, the stuff he comes out with. It's just like I, uh, at the very beginning screen and how he interacts with the other character on the screen. is just like, wow, <laughs> where's this going to go? When I first, the opening, I did not know what to expect. All I knew, it was a comedy point and click game. And I was like, okay, let's just embrace it and see where it's going to take me. And it took me into very, very strange places. <laughs> so the first question, I had to get this out of the way because this is the elephant in the room as far as I'm concerned. Why Why the Handicam view? Now, so everyone understands, basically the screen is constantly shaking around as if it's being viewed by someone holding a Handicam. Why? Yeah, yeah, that's 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 a great question. Um, so I didn't really expect it to be sort of an elephant in the room or controversial, as you, maybe. Um, but the thing for me is that these point-and-click adventure games of the past, if you play them on a 24-inch monitor, it feels really, really jaggedy. It just, it just has a really bad game feel. And so my philosophy um, was I, I really didn't want to make a clone of the games um, that, I, that I really enjoyed. I really wanted to make something that truly is its own thing, but I wanted it to feel more alive and dynamic. And so um, what I wanted to do is maybe have a similar aesthetic to the games of the past, but not just sort of adopt the same limitations necessarily. So the idea with the handy cam sort of view is I, I, I wanted it to feel like the rooms and the places you are are a little bit more alive. Um, if you play any modern adventure game today, it's not going to have this just super fixed camera or, or else it's gonna it's it's gonna feel really strange. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to try to meld the point and click, low resolution aesthetic with a feel that sort of maybe maybe worked a little bit better on the um, large screen. So what that meant is having you know low res pixel art at a high resolution, um, and uh, using some scaling tricks and stuff like that to make it look low res, but there's actually smooth, smooth movement and, um, things aren't actually locked into perfect pixels. And as part of that too, having a camera that sort of follows tick. And if you're just standing there, I, I, uh, hopefully it's not like nausea inducing for some people, but just, you know, it's as if there's somebody behind the camera, there's a cameraman. Well, he's not very good. Um, he's like you would have. Maybe. It's just like, it reminds me a lot. I'm showing my age here. Forgive me, but there was a TV show called Hill Street Blues, um, and I ever since that that had, you know, they did away with the static cameras of from old on TV shows. They just had this weird one shot sort of. He would zoom in. He would be out of focus for a bit. The actors would continue to perform, but it would just be all over the place. It would just be the camera would swing across. There'd be no cutting that much. It was just like. What the, mm-hmm. And what was really shocking and was brilliant about it was the show wasn't that great, <laughs> but it was still pretty <laughs> run-of-the-mill cop drama. But the difference in the presentation, everyone just got glued onto it because it was it looked you know gritty and real as if you were really there. But it's still a bunch of actors, right, right. you know, a bunch of actors playing cops who don't swear. You know. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Hang on, it's still the same. Shut up! It's amazing. Like, no, seriously, it's still the same. Will you shut up? It's like me, you know, criticizing re- retro games. Like, that, stop, stop giving reality. I don't care about facts. I just want to believe it's better. <laughs> and I'm not saying, right. don't get me wrong. I'm not saying what you've done here, um, the handicam view, is is a, a gimmick or anything like that. I think it's genius, and that's why I wanted to talk about it. Uh, and it's one of the reasons. You yeah. Know, it's just like, where did he get that from? Why is it shaking around? Oh, and then you can turn it off, everyone. You can, there's an option. Right. You can turn it off. If you don't like it, you feel a bit seasick, turn it off. I, I didn't turn it off. <laughs> I, um... uh, well, yeah, th- uh, thanks for that. I mean, I, I think it really came out, though, as, as a result of a lot of experimentation. I, I probably experimented on 
that part of the presentation more than anything else in the game. I just really wanted it to f- feel um, feel more alive. And, you know, you can add stuff in the background, you know, birds and things flying around and um, a little bit of movement. But I felt that sort of making the camera a character in the game uh, would sort of elevate it a little bit. And um, I, I think it worked. Um, the, the other aspect that I, I really wanted as part of that with the, the idea of zooming, it really um, it doesn't zoom in. If you watch a lot of the um, Disney animated classics, one thing that they often have, like at the very first scene, and I, I watched a few um, for reference in this, you would see like the camera, say, going into a cottage and it kind of maybe looks like it's zooming in on a crane cam or something, but it's actually moving forward. So what that means is like a camera is going to just take a zoom is just going to take a small box and make it bigger. Some part of the frame and make it bigger, but moving actually moves stuff at different sort of planes of view and changes the perspective. And I wanted to do that too, to just give it a little bit of this kind of, um, I don't know, like cin- cinematic uh, aspect to it that as, as this camera's moving, it's actually someone taking steps forward or moving forward on a crane cam, uh, not just not just following you around um, in a fixed position. And I think that that just, it just makes it feel a little bit more alive for, for pixel art, at least to my eyes it did. And I think most of the feedback I've gotten about it is, Positive, unless someone gets seasick, in which case I added the option to yeah, turn it off. Motion sickness is surprisingly common, uh, more than you realise. I mean, personally, I've had, um, suffered from it when playing video games, even VR stuff. Again, I just, yep, nothing. And a lot of people can't play Half Life and various games like that because of you know that kind of reason, because they get sick. And uh, the only reason I can't play the last level of Half Life because it's the last level. of of Half Life, uh, with you know Zine and terribleness like that, but it's it's um, it's it's it it is a you know well, you have to be it's great having that kind of stuff in, but if it in, impedes people and uh, in the ability to play right. the game, it's like color blindness, you know. It's, um, that, that's something you also got to consider. Like not everyone can see that as green, you know. <laughs> right. So right, um, it's got to, right. have to be sympathetic to that. Sticking to the presentation of things. I want to ask you how you designed the game in such a way to inform people without, again, spoon-feeding them, that they can do things and interact with things whilst they can't interact with other. How, how, I know how you, what it does, but how does um, Tix Tales deal with that? Yeah, um, just so I make sure I understand the question, it's, you're talking more about visually in, in, in cues? Oh, yeah, okay. How did those cues evolve? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that, um, in especially in the uh, LucasArts sort of um, tradition, you would see, I mean, even the earlier games have a little crosshair. And I think that's even a sign of like what I think was maybe one of the flaws in those games in that you'd often in the earlier days have these puzzles that require just the just perfect precision to find the thing you need to click on. And um, it tells you what that thing is, right? It'll say, like, a watch that's on the ground. It's, like, three pixels by three pixels. And I really, really didn't want to have that. In fact, I wanted the language of the the visual approach to be very, very straightforward so that, um, again, it does trigger the imagination. Like, you have to fill in the blanks of what you're looking at. But um, I wanted it to be really, really clear. This is a sheep. This is, you know, a flask on the table. Um, you know, just not not making you have to uh, guess and not needing something that uh, that tells you what that it's thing quite is. Big as well. Um, I mean, the the, 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 the objects you pick up, like that's clearly that's what it is. It's not not, not right. a sliver. And on the ground, or a little shadow, which you wouldn't have spotted, or a, 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 like a, a sprig of, of, of um, like, you know, you need to have a turnip. You need to find a turnip. And it's in amongst a bunch of other bushes, 
which you've never spotted unless someone, you know, unless you spent a good half hour desperately crawling your mouse icon across the screen trying to find yeah. the sprig for the turnip. The only one turnip that you right. can actually pick up amongst 200. Right. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think, I think too, that um, the last thing you want someone, as an adventure game designer, the last thing you want someone to say playing your game is, that's not fair. Like, that's the point where, especially with just the huge catalog of games that are out there right now, that's the point where people just stop playing, right? They, I, I've stopped playing games where it's like one puzzle just kind of puts the wrong taste in my mouth, and I'm like, oh, I'm not really interested yeah. anymore. Yeah. So I, it, it, additionally, I designed it so that hopefully in the future I can release it on mobile, and there the precision of being able to click on, you know, a 3 by 3 or 5 by 5 thing is just so difficult. So I really wanted to make sure that it was big enough that the, that the language of the game would translate to hopefully a mobile phone. I think, I think text might be hard, but for the most part that sort of influenced how I, how I approached that to, you might even say that maybe some of the sort of graphical endeavors I took, um, uh, suffered a little bit from it, right? Like I, I optimized for being able to tell what stuff was, over having a lot on the screen um, so so that you wouldn't be clicking on all the individual little rocks and stumps and stuff and wondering, it, did they hide something from me here? Yeah, you just don't... That's, that was one of the things that I personally had issues with, certainly uh, in some of the games where you just end up going, let's find the icon thing, game, just ignoring what's on it. You know, that, that, that just like, well, okay, I'm stuck. Oh, I'll just move my mouse around and see if something glows. You know? Right. It was, just, it was, it was the right. worst, you know? And a lot of the best games of that time suffered from that problem, like, find the glowing thing. <laughs> you know, you have these beautiful artworks, wonderful renders, but you only laugh after the balloon. And not only right. that, right. a specific balloon amongst 200 that are picked. On. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I put the glowing cursor thing in there too, but uh, my design goal from the beginning was to just make sure that no one was going to rely on that yeah. to know that something was clickable. And there's a, there's um, a thread to, to the puzzles. Speaking of puzzles, that's my third question now. Yay, segue, go Chris. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Pulling Click Adventures suffered quite badly following the now infamous cat hair disguise puzzle from Gabriel Knight 3. Yep. You don't know what I'm talking about. Yep. Um, so, yeah. And I recently read an interview with uh, Roberta Williams. She said, I didn't do that. It wasn't me. <laughs> that wasn't my job. Right. That, I, someone else put that in. She said that. Like, it wasn't me. It was the other three. It was... And then she... Right. Went, well, know, I mean... You know, I think people build it up too much. No, they don't. No, it was bad. So what have you done, personally, do you believe... Uh, in Tick's Tales to overcome this, you know, problem of ridiculous puzzle that no one in their right mind, unless the author um, is you know, who's running it, could possibly solve. Right. So um, I, I'll, I'll say that before I started writing the puzzles, um, I read Ron Gilbert's um, Why Adventure Games Suck. And I think that anyone who's interested in making an adventure game should really uh, read that article. But, um, but the, the basic philosophy, like I said, I, I knew I didn't want anyone to say that's not fair. I knew I wanted to have, um, avoid a bunch of the common problems in venture games. Um, you know, obviously, uh, dead ends, making it so you can't complete the game, um, removing death, sort of some of the more modern things that you see, uh, in adventure games. But I think it really came down to a lot of the nitty gritty um, in the individual puzzles and even changing some of the puzzles to make sure that uh, that sufficient clues uh, were were given. So um, um, as a simple example, if you needed to click on something multiple times, I made sure to give a visual a visual clue to it. Or if um, if you use the wrong item on something, but it's close, I wanted to make sure to have some little bit of rewarding dialogue to say, or animation or something to show you you're on the right path. Um, and 
I think that those things go a long, long way. Um, and I don't think that there's a single puzzle that I put in there that doesn't have some hint to the right solution before you even have a chance to do the right solution. Yeah, early on involving a tree and a thing in it. <laughs> right. I'm not going to say anymore. No. No spoilers. Listeners, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to say anymore. It's just a thing. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, and that that's brilliantly constructed, that one. Um, uh, I won't, uh, yeah, but uh, that I just wanted to draw out of you. How on earth did you come up with those logic strings without insulting the player? And I, don't, and I think you've achieved that. Yeah, I think. I mean, if if I have to think about the aspect of the game that I'm, I'm most proud of, I, I I really do think that the puzzles are really uh, are really really fair. Um, and that that you don't ever feel like maybe you're, or at least as an adventure game player, I don't feel like I'm I'm strung along for some kind of weird logic. I, I know that some of them are more difficult than others, but for the most part, they're um, they're really fair. And um, they many of them, I give the solution away before before there's a chance to solve it. So you're not wondering. Um, you're not wondering what you need to do to 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 solve it. Um, so again, without giving spoilers, there's a, there's a part where you need to prove yourself, and you can't prove yourself. And Tick tells you, you the answer right then. If only I had blah. And um, I took that idea from um, a lot of other adventure games that say they make it crystal clear: this is what you need to do. It's the how that's going to be hard. Um, and I, I wanted to make that like super, super obvious. The other thing that I wanted it to do is that make it so that the puzzles were interconnected. Um, I, I think that there's, there's sort of, um, uh, funnels in, in the game where you, you can do a lot of stuff at once and then it sort of comes together and then you can go and do a lot of stuff again. But I wanted to make sure that if you were, that it would be difficult to be stuck on one puzzle, um, that completely limits you from doing anything that there's other puzzles out there, there's more hints to those puzzles, and they're interrelated with one another, so that solving one puzzle gets you a little bit further in another one. So there's sort of mutual payoff when you when you make progress on them. Um, in, sort of, in terms of uh, how to come up with the ideas, I, I, I really, for, for most of the puzzles, had many iterations. Um, it, where I had a, an idea and then I, I felt like this is, I'm making this way more complex than, right. than I have to. And um, I think that it's easy to sort of come up with your puzzles either as an afterthought to the story um, and so kind of end up with your rough draft of your puzzles um, it, because I think an adventure game's narrative does come first. But um, I, I, I think it's important to keep them on the chopping block and on and continue iterating them right up until the end. And that, and I, and I did that. There were, there were some puzzles where I, uh, changed the dialogue, um, a week before the game came out to just make it that much clearer or even, um, adding visual hints, um, a week before it, it came out just to be exceedingly clear. Um, so that no one would say that's not fair. That's I love that phraseology. Like, if if you any game, regardless of genre, if if it's if you if it fails because it's unfair to you, then that's bad game design. You know, it's always you know the best games out there. It's always oh it's, that's my fault. I screwed up. That's my fault. I I didn't see that because right. I was too busy looking at something shiny out the window. You know, that's that's my fault. So um, right. So the last thing is much more. You know. Um, more about the content rather than the design. But humour mm-hmm. abounds, of course, in Tick's Tales. And there's definite references to uh, the indie game. Um, uh, because I think one of the earliest puzzles makes reference to Shovel Knight. I might be wrong. But I maybe I'm wrong. But I... <laughs> uh, I... It, per, per, 
It, it, is, it is possible that it's a reference to a yeah. reference, but I actually haven't played uh, Shovel Knight, although it is you know what I mean. right yeah. up my alley. Right up my alley. Um, so um, it is on my list of games to play. It might have uh, been but, unintentional, but I thought it was like, oh, right, I get it. It's Shovel and then, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I... Y- y- at this point, you wouldn't be spoiling your listeners. You'd be spoiling me. <laughs> Maybe figuring it out. So, so uh, yeah, I, 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 there definitely though are uh, lots of references to stuff that I think right. is funny. And uh, there's sort, there's sort of a, a really big. Um, I, I felt risk as uh, a designer in um, making the content the way that I did because uh, I, I tell a lot of jokes. Um, I write a lot of puns and riddles and, um, my wife doesn't really laugh at them very often. Um, and, uh, this, this game is really just like stuff I think is funny. And, um, there's sort of a risk in saying if the game is going to sort of rise or fall by whether or not people think it's funny, because it probably isn't a very good game if, if you don't like the humor, um, then it sort of says something about, about your humor because it's all just, you know, brainchilds of stuff I, I laugh at on a, on a regular basis. Yeah, I think one of the funniest sort of makes me smile bits, whenever, whenever, um, gorgeous George, whenever she's mentioned, she it just, it, everything stops, everything. And his right. little thought bubble right. comes out and he has this daydream. Which I won't go into details. The right. music kicks in, and like <laughs> you can't stop it, you can't skip it. You just gotta wait because text is yeah. off. He's, you've mentioned, you've mentioned it. Right. That's it. He's off in Never Neverland. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, and I think that's funny. I I laugh when I do that. Sometimes I don't remember what I wrote, and so I I you know I'm going through something and I see that and I just like I get a kick out of that and hopefully. If I get a kick out of it, so do other yeah, people. It's just, um, it's and it's, what, what can you do? Write about things that make you laugh, and hopefully others have to share the same sense of humor. Not always, because that's what human beings are. They're, they're, you know, some people find um, some things funny, and others don't, and that's fine. That's okay. That's, that's what a variety is a spice of life, and all that sort of stuff. But um, right, no, right. What, what you, as soon as you start overthinking it and try. You know, being a tryhard, then it falls over. Then it ceases to be amusing. Then it, you just basically, right. you know, you've jumped the shark, that sort of thing. And we've all seen TV right. do that. Yeah, and, and I mean, if if you don't get a kick out of it, I mean, I, I don't know what better measure y- you could have. You know, you could go do focus groups, I suppose, and see if people think something's funny. But, I mean, but my goal all along was to create a game that – me and my circle of adventure game friends uh, would find funny. And um, I, I can't think of a better measure. And um, for some of the feedback that I've gotten on the jokes, it sounds like there are other people out there surprised that, that also share in that sense of humor. And I'm glad yeah. for it. I mean, it's, you can see where it comes from. But there's a bit of Calvin and Hobbes going on in there, definitely. Um, again, not a problem. Of course it isn't. Um, but there's there's all sorts of irreverent humour, self depreciation yep. as well, which um, is the, 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 the you know the common core of, of comedy. Certainly in the UK, always laughing at oneself um, at, at relentlessly to the point of like, can you just give it up? No, nope, it's either that or toilet humour. What do you want? <laughs> right, <laughs> right, yeah. And I mean, and the th- the thing that's funny um, is that a lot of that self-deprecating humor actually isn't that new. It's not, it's not a thing too, that like suddenly in this Renaissance, as you called it for adventure games, it's not like just now they started picking fun at the stuff of the past. Um, it's like back, back when these games were being made, they were making self-referential jokes. Um, one of the games that I think, I think that maybe Tick's Tales might be most similar to in, in terms of presentation, um, might be uh, Simon the Sorcerer. And um, 
I remember, um, I haven't played it in a long time, but I, I distinctly remember this part where you are talking to these wizards and they say, what, what makes you think we're wizards? And one of the dialogue options is like, because when I put my mouse cursor over you, it says <laughs> wizards. And that, that, that's just funny. That's like laugh out loud funny. And it breaks the fourth wall, but it's, it's just good humor. And you know that the, per- the it's probably a programmer who put that in there. Probably wasn't even written in the original design document or whatever. It was probably someone said, oh, you know, this would be a good option to add here. And I remember it. I remember it because yeah. it's funny. Yeah, some um, of the best lines, you know. So, with, um, the Robbie Chicken with the pulley in it. Yeah, yeah. why is that funny? Because yeah. think about it. Why? Why would you do? Why? What? Oh, I see. I get it. Now. <laughs> that's, that's right. And like, yeah, I think that uh, I think that if I look at what I find funny, uh, I do have a, a dry sense of humor, but I also just really, really enjoy jokes and stories that just don't take themselves that seriously. Um, one of my favorite shows um, might not come as a big surprise is Adventure Time. Adventure Time is just the weirdest show. It's, 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 it's shocking that it's so successful because it's just so eclectic and it's, it, the, the humor is just so bizarre. But, um, um, but it just doesn't take itself that seriously. You just like, they set up this world for you. You just have to accept that this is the way that the world is. Like, there's people made out of food, and um, this kid lives in a hut and is everybody's hero. And um, there's these guys that are made out of lemons it, or, or lemon candy. It's just the weirdest stuff, but um, but it it's is, funny, and um, and it doesn't take I itself that seriously. Going into the woods once, and there's this woman, the old woman, and she just started dancing for no reason, and I was watching it. And my friend goes, so why is she doing that? She goes, because she is. Okay. <laughs> why? Right. Don't, don't ever ask why in this show, because you will go mad. Yeah. Don't ever ask why. No one in the, in the show asks why, and immediately when they do, bad things happen. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it loses all its magic. And that's, like, if, if I think about... Um, stories that I really enjoy. Like one of my favorite movies uh, is Inception. Um, and Inception just sets up this universe. It's like, yeah, you got dreams within dreams. It, this is just how this world works and you can share dreams. And like, they talk very little about why this all works. And like, it wouldn't be a good movie if they did. You just got to roll with it. They say, this is the world that we're in. This is how it goes. Just yeah. roll with it. And, um, and don't ask why, because it'll ruin the magic. And um, so that I wanted to do the same thing. I wanted to create something where you don't yeah. ask why this guy is just a troublemaker. And um, yeah. yeah, stuff he's done to other characters. Um, you know, yeah, that's the, again the humor on that. The stuff you encounter characters and go, wait, I know you. Didn't you? And there's this long stream of abuse about all of the things he's done. <laughs> right. Like. Yeah, that might have been me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But seriously, yeah, give me a Bye. chance. Like, no, seriously, there's no. All chance is gone. <laughs> right, right. You've, you've, like, and that's actually another thing in, in storytelling that's that's um, really good is to um, start in the middle of the story. And so, it, for certain parts, there's there's things that have already happened beforehand. So you've already like you as the player are disadvantaged because you've already burned all your bridges and um, th- there's no hope of rebuilding those bridges or at least seemingly for the most part. Um, and like, that's cool. That's, that's, that's funny. Um, the, a lot of the, the troublemaking that he's done, I talked about my grandfather who got me into, to adventure games in the first place. Um, he, he was that guy. Uh, he has this story or um, uh, of his father, Coming down, and they had built a Van de Graaff generator, you know, one of those static electricity globe things. And um, he, he, all the lights in the house are worrying, you know, going in and out. And he comes down and he's yelling, is anybody dead yet? Like that, that kind of like storytelling is just so funny because it seems so ridiculous, but it's actually so normal to have, like you said, it, you identify with being that troublemaker. Um, and... I don't know. I just I find it really entertaining, and I think uh, other people yes. do too. Yes. I certainly did, and do. 
That's the last question. So all good things come to an end. Um, Bryce has been fantastic. Have you on the show? Um, so Tick Tick's Tales is out on Windows PC and other platforms. Yeah, it's on it's on uh, OS X and Linux as well. Um, I'm working on uh, mobile uh, for the future, but uh, we'll we'll see we'll it, see on it that. It's out right now. Yep. Do go do grab it on on. I bought it on Steam, but also do it if you myself and that, that sort of thing. But um, again, I wish you the very best of luck in your future endeavors, and hope we really see many more uh, games starring Tick, no doubt. Uh, um, even after you become a knight, I'm sure you'll make even things even worse after you achieve that, uh, that, uh, that um, thing he so- seeks so much just because he's infatuated That's right. with a woman who probably doesn't know he even exists. Um, <laughs> <All right. laughs> which is always the right. way. Um, yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you so much. It's been a, a pleasure yeah, to be on your I show. Mean, um, um, welcome yeah. to come back on to chat about um, sequels to this and other games. Great. Well, um, you've found yourself another listener, and so I, I, I okay. thank you for that. Thank you very much. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review, and you can also don't forget listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com, and you can stream. The show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me any feedback on the show, or actually you're a developer, you listen to the show and want your game featured on it, please do email me at chris at spong.com. Also, don't forget to check out the Computer Game Show, which is the Stablemate podcast, should we say, of Spong.com. Bye!